Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. Just before this global pandemic, medical researchers were predicting and warning about a looming global health crisis. So what we're seeing here is that loneliness is, is a far worse pandemic, far worse. We live in a very lonely culture. It's long been said that if you want a friend, you need to be a friend. Interestingly, the concept of friendship is not accidental. God designed for us to have friends. Only recently, researchers have highlighted the problem of increasing loneliness in our society and its place as a modern health crisis. What's the antidote? Good friendships. But how do we secure them? Dr. Corbett is continuing the best series, not because it's the best he's done, but a series looking at the best for you. Let's join him now as tonight we look at becoming the best friend. Thank you for entering into the worship despite face masks and all the rest of it. Thank you for that. That was great. And I think the, the worship team did really well as well because it's, it's a challenge for them to create that energy and they did really well. So that's wonderful. And it, and we, we do kind of have to remember that worship is actually about God, right? So it's about acknowledging our serenity. We're going to have a look at something in this series, the best series. And we're looking at what we mean by best. And I want to just explain that just for the moment so that we get a clearer understanding of what we mean by best. Because when we say our best... I, I want us to understand that firstly the scripture says we shouldn't compare ourselves with others. So Paul actually says that here in 2 Corinthians and it says not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with those who are commending themselves but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another they are without understanding. And I say that in an age when social media has absolutely distorted that capacity for us to think of what, what does it mean to be the best me? Because all too often we fall into the very trap the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago said was not the right standard for measuring the best. And the measuring the best is not your comparison to anyone else. That's not a measurement of your best. So how do we define our best? And this is kind of the definition that I'm, I'm working on. It's desiring, starts with a desire, to desiring to fulfill our potential by setting goals for ourselves which require planning, practice and honest assessment of our progress, being on guard against those things that hinder us and hinder this achievement of our best. Some of us were blessed with great parents. Some of us weren't. That's going to impact our potential in life. Some of us were blessed by having people around us who really cared. That's going to impact your potential in life as well. Some of you were born with physical restrictions. That's going to hinder your potential in life and those things are okay we we should understand that but one thing i think all believers need to be aware of is that christ expects our best for him so we are we are called to follow christ by giving him our best 
So far we've seen that the Bible talks about how to make the best plans. And the best plans involve putting God first in your life. Start with that framework. And then we've, we've looked at how we can plan ahead to have the best year. The Apostle Paul wrote again to the Corinthians and he said, keep going with what you planned to do a year ago. So he's reminding them that they had a plan that was instigated a year ago and should just about be coming to fulfilment. And then we've, we've seen how we can plan and desire to be the best us, fulfill our potential. And I've tried to stress to you that what I'm talking about is not life coaching. We're not trying to pep anyone up or hype anyone up. We're actually trying to look at what I consider to be God's blueprint for how we are to live and doing our best, striving and desiring to do our best so that we can achieve that in our lives. That's been my heart in this. Uh, I'm, as we embark on this fourth instalment of this series, I'm mindful of something that C.S. Lewis said in this book. This is called Mere Christianity. And it struck me when he said it, about two-thirds of the way through, he makes this, this statement. And as I think about where our culture is, where our society is at the moment, I'm, I was struck by this statement. He described hell as eternal loneliness. And I read this week that Hugh Ross was asked a question about hell and he described it in similar terms, but he put a little adjective after it or an adjectival phrase after it. He said, not only will hell be eternal loneliness, but you'll be surrounded by others who are experiencing eternal loneliness, which will make it even worse. That's hell. That's, a, that's probably not the sum total of it, but some, perhaps that statement, and the reason I think that statement's so important is because, curiously, just before this global pandemic, which we're all wearing face masks as a result of right now, so just before COVID-19 occurred, researchers, medical researchers, were predicting and warning about a looming global health crisis. And the looming global health crisis that they spoke about was published in the Lancet Medical Journal just before, just before, months before COVID came out. And I'm going to tell you that they were exactly right in their prediction. And the COVID-19 outbreak has actually ramped it up. So we're actually dealing with at least two pandemics right now. And this is what the, the journal article said. Imagine a condition that makes a person irritable, depressed and self-centred and is associated with a 26% increase in the risk of premature mortality, that is death. Imagine too that in industrialised countries around a third of people affected by this condition 
with one person in 12 affected severely and that those proportions are increasing. Income, education, sex, ethnicity are not protective and the condition is contagious. The effects of the condition are not attributable to some peculiarity of the character or of a subset of individuals. They are the result of the condition affecting ordinary people, every one of us. Such a condition exists. You know you do not need to imagine it. It is called loneliness. Loneliness is often stigmatised, trivialised or ignored, but with the rapidly growing number of older adults in industrial countries like Australia, England, America, New Zealand, most of Europe, the increased likelihood of premature mortality and the deleterious effects, that is harmful effects, of loneliness that have been identified in animal models and human longitudinal investigations. In other words, they've been studying this for decades now and they're saying it's reaching epidemic stage. This is just before COVID broke out, emerging as a public health problem. Physicians, doctors are encountering this condition, but most do not have the information needed to deal effectively with loneliness in their patients. It was in light of that, that uh, medical doctor Matthew Sleeth, who wrote this book, Hope Always. And Dr. Matthew Sleeth was not a Christian and he was, believe it or not, why anyone would go into this branch of emergency medicine. But he was in suicide failure medicine. Now get your head around that. He's dealing with people who have attempted suicide. Man, I did not even know there was a branch of ED. But that was his field. Dealing continually with people who have failed in their attempts of suicide. And he talks about how he got into this field thinking it would be a side issue and it became overwhelmingly his full-time thing where he was constantly dealing with it. He gives some alarming stats. This book came out just before COVID. And it's an American-based book and the numbers out of America now uh, make his numbers look like he's way understated what's actually happening. And at the root of it is loneliness. It's loneliness. And I, and I, hear, these, I hear these problems and I hear these solutions and I kind of have one of these Louis Pasteur moments where Louis Pasteur in the 1800s wrote a, wrote a, a medical paper on how... Uh, maternal mortality could be eradicated through childbirth if doctors and nurses would wash their hands during the procedure. And he was, he was scoffed. It was so simple. It was, it was ridiculously simple. That it was so simple, it couldn't be true. In the early 1900s, so that is the early 20th century, uh, death in childbirth was at such an alarming rate that someone read his paper and said, it's worth a try, we've tried everything else. And almost overnight, when they began to implement this, we saw the mortality rate in childbirth dramatically decrease. So what we're seeing here 
is that loneliness is, is a far worse pandemic than COVID. Far worse. Wonder why. Why is loneliness such a, a thing now? I mean, after all, we're the social media generation. We're the connected generation, right? I mean, I have three friends on Facebook. How many have you got? You've probably got hundreds. Some of you have got dozens. Some of you may have, not like me, you may have double digits. Well done. Some of you, if we ask the question, if you died, would those people turn up at your funeral? The answer might be a little bit different to what Facebook tells you. We live in a very lonely culture. Why? Why? The, the, the world now has a population of what's somewhere between seven point something billion people. In other words, there's more people to go around. I mean, if you want looking for a friend, you've got more possibilities, right? Because there's seven billion people. The, the, the population of Launceston in the 20 something years that I've been here, nearly 30 now, has doubled. So if you were looking for a friend 20 years ago, you've got, you're twice as likely to find one now, right? Because the population has doubled. But is that the case? Is that the case? It's clearly not the case. And I wonder why. Perhaps this current culture that we're in now, where people feel so lonely, so disconnected, I, I, every time I see married at, those ads for married at first sight, my heart just sinks and aches. So I think this is not the way to connect with another human being. And I, I just wonder, perhaps this is a reflection of societies, that is plural, choosing to live outside of God's will for how we as human beings are supposed to interact. And this is what I know. And again, in C.S. Lewis's book, which he delivered during the Second World War as BBC radio talks. He then put it into three smaller books and people interacted with him on it and he wrote, he wrote to everyone who wrote to him. He's an amazing letter writer. And then he, put, then he compiled them all and came out with mere Christianity and, and he says the human being is like a machine, like a car is a machine and the machine is meant to run with petrol where it goes and oil where it goes in the same sense that a human being is meant to run with certain principles and run on certain principles that if that human being doesn't it would be exactly like putting oil where the petrol goes and petrol where the oil goes in a car eventually that car won't work and he's saying there's a lot of people whose lives just aren't working because they're not living according to the maker's handbook God's will we see this desire that God has for us to be able to connect as human beings we see it in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 and it follows on the heels of where in Genesis chapter 1 it describes the broad brushstroke of God creating everything including mankind. And then Genesis chapter 2 says, now let's go back into day 6 and tell you a little bit more about what happened in that part of day 6 where God had already created all the plants, he'd already created all the animals, all the insects, all the birds, all the fish and yet he kept a mountaintop Ezekiel tells us a mountaintop as a bare patch where he planted a garden. That garden was Eden. And then he formed man. 
and he brought man into that garden, the Garden of Eden. And interestingly, the Bible talks about uh, God and man often meeting in gardens on mountains. Remember, just before Christ was taken away to be crucified, where he went, the Mount of Olivets, the Garden of Gethsemane. And so we have this picture of God and man on a mountain and, and how, how alone could you be if you're with God, right? And there was God who came down regularly to meet with Adam, but Adam was created to be with his own kind. He just didn't know it. And God brought to him all of the animals of that part of the world and he examined them and none of them were of his kind. None of them satisfied that, that ache, that longing he had to be with someone, a companion of his own kind. And that's when God declares this, it is actually not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper, companion, an associate fit for him. So God's antidote is seen right from the outset of creation. God's antidote to loneliness is companionship. And if we had the time, and we may just touch on it light, just very briefly, momentarily, I'd like to explain to you how companionship comes in various degrees. Various degrees. But here's what I think we need to know to be a part of the solution to what I consider to be and what society is telling us is one of the greatest problems facing us now during and even just before COVID became a thing we began to hear of people who were dying in their homes and no one knew about it for a week two weeks three weeks a month it, it, it's that is what's going on we need, we are created to be, God's design is for us to be connected with each other. So this is what we need to do in this, looking at the best series, I want to now talk about becoming the best friend. Becoming the best friend. It's rediscovering God's wisdom in God's word for solving loneliness. I think our church can be a solution centre for loneliness I know right now some of you have just said in your head and in your heart but I'm lonely I know that so listen up how might we just define a friend a friend is someone who likes you that helps doesn't it who knows you who knows about you Someone who knows what you like, fear, hope for, want and need. I've discovered my wife needs chocolate. <laughs> yeah, oh, you can't help it. I know it's a need. You can't help what you need, right? Chocolate. So if you want to give my wife chocolate, it has to come through me so I'm seen as the need <laughs> provider, right? That's just, just letting you know right now. 
I know. No. <laughs> She's a big girl. All right. Come back in the room, Wendy. Sorry. All right. So that's what a friend is. And, um, and I just want to pause here for a moment because some of, some of you are, are saying, I would love to meet new friends. I would love to meet new people and get to know new people, but I have no clue how to engage in conversation. I bet you, if, we, if I was to ask for a show of hands, there would be more hands that go up in this room right now than you might imagine. In other words, this is not, this is not an isolated thing. You meet someone you've never met before, and men, it's easy for men, we don't have to remember their name. <laughs> men have a pass on that. Everyone's mate. <laughs> it's not so easy for women. But men have the standard questions, and our conversation's basically done, and everyone knows it too. Blokes know, know it. Um, so, uh, what's your name? Which we're not going to remember. What's your name, and what's the next question? What do you do? Thank you. That's it. They're the bloke questions. What, what's your name? We don't really care. We're going to call you mate from here on in. And what do you do? And that's it. Conversation over. You could go a little bit deeper in the conversation next time you meet and you start talking about the weather. That's blokes. We go deep. But I want you to consider some of these things as questions. If you want to become a friend and if you want to be a friend, explore those points in that definition as questions to ask someone. And you might not be so blunt and direct. You may have to be subtle with it. But maybe explore that. Part of getting to know someone. It's one of the reasons why married at first sight annoys me so much because marriage is meant to be the culmination of companionship and there's meant to be all of these things that are understood between two people before you get married. So if you want friends, the New King James Version of Proverbs 18 verse 24 says this, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. How many times I, I have heard people say, I just, I just don't know how to say hello to someone. I don't know how to have a conversation with them. And then the person they would have liked to have done that with comes up to him and says, I just don't know how to have a conversation or how to be friends with someone. Which will be a point I will make in a moment about a true friend. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I'm going to suggest to you that's Jesus. And I'm going to suggest to you he can be your best friend based on that little snippet of a definition I've just given. How might we define friendship? And again, I don't think Facebook helps in this instance because someone connects with you on Facebook and Facebook calls them a friend. And I, I think it would be better understood as a data connection. <laughs> Friendship requires, oh, you bet it's harsh. Friendship requires effort. It requires time. It requires talking, listening, and can I suggest travel? 
How many times have you ever gone away, maybe you're, at, you're a school student, you go on a school camp and you get to hang out with someone, you travel. Sometimes the bus trip is more valuable than the arrival. You ever sat beside someone on a plane you didn't know and struck up a conversation and thought that wasn't so bad? Travel actually has a, a way of introducing people to friendship. It requires listening. It requires disagreements. I want you to see that. Everyone who thinks that friends never disagree, it does. It requires, it requires disagreement. Because if someone's, if, if someone's agreeing with everything you say and think, they're lying to you. And you don't want a friend like that. You want someone who's going to challenge your ideas and do it in a nice way. So it requires disagreements, but it also requires reconciliation. Knowing how to deal with things. And one of the things I say to couples when I prepare them for marriage is that you will have disagreements and you may not actually end up agreeing. But as long as you can come to understand each other's points of view, even if you don't agree, you're going to be drawn closer to each other. It requires forgiveness. It requires being transparent, which is that word honesty. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9, it talks about friendship here. In fact, Proverbs chapter 17 has a lot to say about friendship. Whoever covers an offence seeks love. Can I tell you, that right there is one of the biggest things that's going to help you to become the best friend you can be to someone. Because if you are a gossip, someone who has the understanding of best means I'm better than someone. You already start with this paradigm that says, okay, if, anyone's, if I think anyone's better than me, my role here is to pull them down. Let people know the dirt that I know about them. You will not be considered a very good friend. Whoever covers an offence seeks love. Now, I'm going to be very discreet here, but Kim and I were with someone who we, we left, uh, we had dinner with them and we, we left the dinner thinking, that is a really good man. That is a really good man. And his wife, sorry, they're a really good couple. But he in particular, because he had, he, he was, um, I'll, I'll put it this way, he was a, an Australian diplomat. And he actually was diplomatic. And he was telling us of some of the really tricky situations he's been in and, and how he, had to, he, he actually agreed with people who might be criticising Australian policy. And he, and he would defend Australia because, and his word was, he said, because you never rubbish your own nation outside of your nation. And I thought, he's taken a principle of family, hasn't he? You never disclose the shameful things of your own family to someone else. He who covers an offence seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 17 goes on a few verses later and says this, a friend loves at all times and it's just defined what love is and a brother is born for adversity so I want to I want to give you the bar the standard for friendship 
And most of this comes out of John chapter 15, where Jesus spoke about it. And, and to do that, I, I need to explain something to you about the Greco-Roman world in which Jesus lived. In the Greco-Roman world, the term friend was a status. It was an actual status. It, it actually meant something of status. You, you didn't refer to most people as your friend because that meant something. That meant that you've done this to them. You, you have said to them, anything I have, anything, any connection I have in life, any potential to do you good I have, you can come to me at any time and you don't even have to ask. It's yours. Can you imagine that the mutual arrangement here is that that they would reciprocate. If they had something, money, property, whatever it is, they would say that to you too and you would become, it was almost a formal status. You would be then known as friends. The, the word up, there's, there's other words associated with this in the Greco-Roman world such as a patron. The, a patron was, was a greater than person and a less than person could approach the patron and say, please help me out. This person would be known as a client. This person would be known as a patron. But if a patron befriended another patron, they became known as friends. Now, knowing that, when Jesus uses this language in John chapter 15, and I want, I want you to see how Jesus redefined friends and friendship in John 15. The first thing I want you to see is we we're about to head into there is, is how Jesus modelled this to his disciples. Because a friend in the Greco-Roman world looked for someone of equal standing who they could connect with and you could do that mutual obligation thing. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do it. Note this in Luke chapter 7, verse 34. Note how he was criticised. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The two worst categories of people in society, the most shameful categories. Sinners was a term for usually for prostitutes. And Jesus was known as their friend. Wow. In Luke 14, Jesus said this, when someone came to him and talked about friendship and she said, friendship? I'll tell you what friendship looks like. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbours, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. See the definition of friendship? See what Jesus says? Invite people who can't invite you back. Treat people not as less than, but as the same as you, even though in your mind they're not. Treat people as friends. Here we go. John chapter 15. Note this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, which is what Jesus did for us. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And note this, here's how Jesus is redefining friendships. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. 
For all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Everything I have, I've given it to you. You're now my friends. They had nothing to offer him. And Jesus is saying, and this is how I want you to treat people as well. It's a very high bar for friendship. What does the best kind of friend do for their friends? We're going to come back after this song. And this song is a clue. It's an amazing song about what genuine friendship's all about. Could everyone please stand? Okay, so I liked what Pastor Andrew said before about making lemonade out of the lemons we've been throwing. So we're singing This Is Amazing Grace. And we should, go, Pastor Andrew was talking about getting some energy into it. So, yeah, I feel like doing some clapping, like, who breaks the power of sin and darkness. Let's get a bit of energy into it. This is our last song, so let's get it going, okay? Everyone ready? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all. The holder with holy thunder and leaves it breathless in awe and wonder. The King of Lords, the King of all This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross.
the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Let's go it up. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. That you lay down your life. That I would be served. Just asking for. All that you've done for me Hallelujah What you done Hallelujah Indeed what you have done for us, what you have done for us. Praise God. The best kind of friend induces, introduces friends to other friends. That's the best kind of friend. Therefore, someone who wants to keep you just to themselves is not your best friend. They might be wanting to control you. But Jesus wants to introduce you to all kinds of friends that are already his friends. That's why church is so important. But more important than that is he wants to introduce you to his father and for you to get to know his father. The last recorded prayer that he prayed before the cross, the high priestly prayer, he said this, and this is eternal life, and John the apostle wrote it down in his gospel, that they may know you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his father. The only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. If we want to be the best friend we can be to someone, we surrender our lives to Jesus and he introduces us to his Father. And his Father not only accepts us as friends, he adopts us as sons and daughters. Wow. Perhaps you've never given your life to Christ. Perhaps you've never seen Christianity as anything other than religion. One of my heroes, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, said, I'm not interested in that kind of Christianity. I want a religionless Christianity that's about a relationship with God. And that's what we're about. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray that God does something scary in every one of our hearts. So get ready. Let's pray. Father... I pray that, you have, pray that you would do in me as you want done. I surrender my life because, God, I've come to know that you are a good God. As we've been singing, you have been faithful to us. You have been good to us. Your grace is amazing. <laughs> and, Father, for those who perhaps are joining with us now and they've never experienced that, the Christ of Christianity, they've never experienced that apart from dead, dry, formal religion, that right now you would enter into their heart, you would speak right into the core of their soul and you would invite them to come to know your Father. 
May they hear that invitation. And Father, we are mindful that hell, leaving this life without checking in with you in this life, is eternal loneliness. A terrible, terrible thing that already some people are getting a glimpse of in this life. But the antidote is friendship with you and with your Father and then with those who are already your friends, the church. So Lord, help us to be the church, the church of friends, the church that knows how to be a friend. And now, Lord, may we know the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And if you want it to be so, say amen. Amen. God bless you. As we've heard tonight, friendship requires time, talking, listening and forgiveness. Jesus himself demonstrated openly what good friendship looked like. More from Dr. Corbett next week with how to live the best life. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.